Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. My goodness, man, thank you guys so much for leading us so well today. Uh, I'm glad you guys are here. It's an exciting weekend here at Cornerstone, isn't it? It's an exciting weekend. Man, we had our first uh, Saturday services last night. They went amazing. So, so good. Great turnout. Uh, uh, Just a great night. We had a lot of new MPs, uh, ministry partners serving last night. It was an amazing, amazing time. And then today, uh, our big building reveal, uh, just exciting stuff, right? And I don't know about you, but I'm ready for that building. <laughs> like, like I, I w- I'm wanting it now. Like, I, I'm like, all right, now let's, let's break ground, right? Let's get to it. Uh, because, hear me, this is a wonderful facility. Like, I love our current uh, church building, but it is small, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the whole point of the Saturday service is to try to help create some room and add another option for people because we're limited by our square footage here. Um, we, we need that new building. We need a new building because this building is, it's right around 8,000 square feet. And let me tell you, it feels like 8,000 square feet. Like this isn't, this isn't one of those places where you're going, that's it? Wow, it feels so much roomier. It doesn't. <laughs> like it, feel, it feels like 8,000 square feet. Uh, sometimes things can be deceptive. Uh, our realtor, though, uh, Bob and Scott Raskow, they're, they're great guys, and they, they pulled no punches. They, they told us like it was whenever we came here. They're like, yeah, it's a nice building, and they showed us around. They told us the square footage, they're like, and it feels, it feels like 8,000 square feet. It's pretty small, uh, especially considering your old building. Our, our old building on Killian was around 20,000 square feet, so this is like a third, right? This is a, a lot smaller. Um, and so they pulled no punches, and we appreciated that as we walked through here, that we were being told like it was, that we, we, we weren't... Uh, being sold on something that it wasn't. They didn't use words like cozy and charming to describe the, sm- the size of this building, right? Oh, no, it's just it's a, it's a cozy little building or anything. Uh, they told no lies to us, which is funny because as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking about when me and my wife Jessica lived up in Cleveland. We were looking for a house. We were renting in Strongsville, and we were looking for a house in that area. We love that area. So we're like, let's look for a house. And so we're looking around, and uh, we, we saw this one online. We're on, like, Realtor.com and Zillow, all those websites looking for houses. And we saw this one. Man, it looked great. It was like a little uh, mid-century ranch and super cute, right? And it's in a nice little area. So we're, we're loving it. We're reading the description, and it's cute, and it's cozy, and it's charming. It's a fixer-upper with tons of potential. And we're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. It's, it sounds like this was describing what we were looking for. Exactly. So we get in the car. We meet uh, our realtor. Uh, Chris, we, we meet him at the house. So we pull up and it looks as cute as we thought it did. We're like, oh man, this might be, we're getting the feel. Like the, the neighborhood was nice. And so we pull in, we're like, oh man, we start walking up towards the house because Chris is already in there. He's unlocked the door and he's waiting for us. Um, as we're getting, we're about maybe like five feet away from the door and we start to smell smoke. And it's kind of like, is there a, who's having a bonfire midday? That's weird. We open up the door and just poof, like we're hit with cigarette smoke, just pour, like pouring out of the house, right? You just smell it. So we're walking in, we're, right? Like, wow, this is strong. We walk in, Chris is in there. He's like, hey, how you guys doing? We're like, hey, what's up, Chris? How's it going? He's like, good, good. And we're just kind of quiet for a second. And we're not, like, thrilled. Like, we're not walking in the house like, wow, wow. We're like, good, we're doing good. And he kind of sees us looking around, and he's like, yeah, 
Hey, feel free to light up if you guys want to. I don't think the homeowner will notice if we smoke a few cigarettes while we're walking through the house. We start cracking up. We're like, yeah, I don't, I don't think they'd notice either. I think there's been a Packer few uh, smoked in here. And man, I'm, I kid you not, the entire house, every room we walked into just reeked. And I mean, not like there was a smoker here, but this was a smoker's lounge. Like it was, it was bad. And it was funny because as we're walking around, all the stuff, the rooms that looked like they were going to be bigger online, we're like, oh, you took that with, a, you picked a really good angle to take that picture of this room because this is more of a closet than a bedroom, I'd say, right? Like, we're walking around, and after we leave the house, um, we got in the car, and instantly, we're like, let's cross that one off. There's, there's no way. We're not as scared of, of doing a little bit of work on a house, but this thing, the only potential that we see in this house is the potentiality of us getting secondhand smoke. Like, we're not, we're, we're not buying this thing. Like, we can cross this off the list. And it was funny because then going back and rereading the listing, we're like, you were putting, I mean, I get it. You're a realtor, you're trying to sell the thing. But this was like lipstick on a pig, man. This house, this house was rough and it didn't look or feel anything like what we were promised. We were promised cute, cozy, charming, fixer-upper with tons of potential, and man, we did not see that at all. <laughs> and I think about that, and I think about how in horror movies, we're in this series, How to Still Survive a Horror Movie, looking at horror movie tropes and, thre- and themes that uh, actually find a lot of truth in them. And we can see that truth echoed in Scripture. And so as, as I'm preparing for the sermon this week, I, I think, like, man, I noticed that same theme happening in horror movies all the time, right? The realtor is always listing these gorgeous homes, these gigantic Victorian and colonials that are just amazing, the grand staircase and everything, and it's beautiful, and the homeowners can never believe it's a third of the price. Like, how is it selling for so cheap? Well, the realtor knows, but they ain't saying nothing, right? They're like, uh, it's because that gorgeous bedroom had like a triple homicide in it. <laughs> that's, that's why it's selling for so low, uh, because this used to be like an occult house or like there's a, there's a cursed object under the floorboards. That's, that's why it's selling for such a good price. But they never say anything. And that's the theme in like every other horror movie that comes out. Right, just off the top of my head, there's uh, the, the Conjuring, the Amityville Whore, the uh, uh, Poltergeist. All of these houses, the realtor is hiding the fact that, oh yeah, we built this house over top of a cemetery, or like, oh yeah, someone was like killed in that room. Like they're, they're hiding it, they're hiding it, but they're just showing you the stuff that looks good, the stuff that looks attractive. Did you see the staircase? <laughs> Did you see the, 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 the finishing? And did you see how nice everything looks? Isn't it beautiful? And again, it's only a third of the price. But the thing is, it's always too good to be true. Always. It's always too good to be true. There's always something horrible, something terrible, something horrific that's happened in the house. Now, here we are, part three of this series, How to Still Survive a Horror Movie. And before I get to the title for today, let me just quickly recap where we've been, okay? So week one, we talked about getting yourself a tune-up, right? All these characters in horror movies try to get away from the killer. They hop in the car. Car won't start. Never does, right? They just, it never, ever starts. And the problem is, is these characters are probably very much like you and me. They get a check engine light, and they just ignore the thing for months on end, and it turns into a year. And so when they want their car to work, it gives up on them. When they need their car to work, it won't. And the same is true for us when it comes to our faith. 
So many of us, we ignore our faith, that check engine lights on, like, hey, need some maintenance, could use some oil, could use some TLC, like I could use a little bit of help here. Comes on around our faith, and we put it off, we put it off, we put it off, until life brings a killer to our front door, right? Our spouse utters the uh, phrase that they, they want to divorce, they want to separate, we get a terrible diagnosis, we get laid off from work, or we get a big pay cut. And in that moment, when the killer's at our front door, we find ourselves in a horror movie moment, we want a faith that works, but if we have a faith that's had a check engine light on for a year, we're mad when it doesn't. God, why, didn't, why aren't you coming through for me? Why do I feel so frustrated and upset? Why am I having such a hard time trusting you? Because you haven't been nurturing the faith this entire time, and now you expect it and want it to start, and it doesn't work that way. So we need to get ourselves a tune-up. So that was week one. Week two last week, Pastor Donnie Sanchez, and didn't Pastor Johnny do an incredible job last week preaching the word? Pastor Donnie talked to us about the idea that we need to watch what we say. We need to watch what we say. So many horror movies, including a recent one that just came out, Candyman, um, and then you've got, you know, scary urban legends like Bloody Mary, all these things that are... Uh, 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 revolving around the idea that if you say something, you can conjure up evil, right? That if you say the right words or you say the right things, that you can bring evil into a situation. And man, that's, that's not from a horror movie. That's straight from the words of Scripture. James tells us, and, and Scripture tells us all over the place, there is power in our words. The things that we say, the words that we speak, we can either bring life or death into a situation by the power of our words. So we have to be very careful what we say to people, what, what things we say to ourselves, because our words matter and our words have power. So that's a little Cliff Notes version of where we've been. Now today, today's title, if you're taking notes, is Don't Trust the Realtor. Don't Trust the Realtor, which uh, I, I see we have some realtors in here right now, and I'm just going to say, not you guys. You guys are wonderful. Hashtag not all realtors, right? Like not all realtors are bad, but I will tell you this, horror movies are just dragging your guy's reputation through the mud, man. Like <laughs> horror movies, the realtor knows what's going on. They're like tiptoeing behind the couple while the couple's like, oh, wow, look at the seal, the, the crown molding. And the realtor is like, uh-huh, yeah. And the realtor's like looking out for a ghost, knowing full well, but they got to get this listing sold, right? They're like, yeah, yeah, you want it? You want it? They're like, take the house, please. The realtor is just hiding all this negative stuff, just hiding it, not mentioning any of it, and trying to sell you on all the positive traits of the house, offering too good to be true deals. Now, that is exactly how our enemy works. Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him, that is exactly how our enemy, the devil, works. He offers us deals that are way too good to be true. He constantly is over-promising and under-delivering with his deals, with his offers. And that's because our enemy, I'm just going to say it, he knows how to market. He is a master marketer. He knows how to make sin look really, really good. I was talking with a guy from our church, Wayne Sims, in between services, and he said, man, that was a really good point. He said, I was thinking about it as you were preaching, and yeah, I mean, the devil is a master marketer. Whenever we read scripture, we see that he convinced a third of the angels to defect and come to his side, and if he was able to do that to people who had been in God's presence, have seen God's face, have tasted and seen his goodness, how much more susceptible are we to fall for his tricks. And I'm like, that is so true. We are. He, he knows where our goat is tied. He knows the kind of house that we're looking for. 
He knows what to sell us, and he knows how to market. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Rather, now listen to these next words. Listen to how the Bible, not Pastor Jacob, listen to how the Bible describes sin. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than all the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Did you hear those words? It's not me describing it. That is scripture using the following words to describe sin, to describe going against God's will. Treasure, enjoyable, pleasurable. See, we need to be able to admit something to ourselves. Sin is enjoyable. It may only be for a season, which is what scripture tells us, but it is enjoyable. And I wanna, I wanna hit this home. We hurt ourselves when we don't acknowledge that. And we hurt kids when we don't acknowledge that. We hurt teenagers when we don't acknowledge that. We hurt college students when we don't acknowledge that, that sin is enjoyable. We need to be able to admit that because for us to fully reject sin's offer We need to fully reject sin's attractiveness because the attractiveness of sin is a component of sin. And if we want to be able to fully reject sin, we have to fully reject it, every part of it, including the attractive part. Can I just say we have lost decades and decades of young people, of kids in high school, of kids in college, because we've told them sin bad, sin is bad, sin is bad, nope, sin bad, sin bad, all the time. We just tell them that, and then guess what they do? They go out, they try it, and they find out sin good. (laughs) Like, that, (laughs) I don't know what they're talking about, but that tasted good, that felt good, that was good. So maybe my parents don't know what they're talking about. Maybe this really is just like a, a kind of older, outdated book that doesn't really know what it's talking about. Because that wasn't bad. <laughs> that felt pretty good. And then by the time they find out it is bad, they're so far down the road that maybe they do come back to Jesus, but they come back with bruises and scars and hurts and dysfunctions that they didn't need to have. Because we have painted sin in the wrong light. Sin is Enjoyable. We need to be able to admit that to fully reject sin. There is nothing bad with us acknowledging the attractiveness of sin. The Bible does it. God does it. You want to know the first book of Scripture in the Garden of Eden? We see whenever uh, Eve looks upon the fruit, the Bible makes a point of telling us that the apple was pleasing to the eye. Why did it need to include that? We didn't need to know that unless it was trying to make the point of saying it looked good. (laughs) Eve could practically taste it before she grabbed it. Sin is enjoyable. Our enemy knows how to market to us. He knows where your goat is tied, and he knows how to rattle that chain. He knows how to come for you. Most of us people who who, uh, uh, are trying to follow Jesus, the stuff in your life that the devil's trying to get you to do, it doesn't necessarily look bad on the forefront. It looks pleasing. It looks good. It looks like you deserve it because our enemy knows how to market 
to us. So we need to acknowledge that. We need to be ready for it. <laughs> Me and my wife, uh, whenever we were getting ready for our tax return to come back in uh, one year, we, we try to have the most amount taken out for our taxes. I know a lot of people are like, oh, that's, don't do that. We like doing it because we like getting that big check at the start of the year, right? We, we love getting a big tax return. So we get our tax return back, um, and what we do is we either put it towards like a house project or we put it towards paying off medical bills if we have any. We, we put it towards those kind of things. But this one year, we're like, you know what? We're going to use it to go towards a Disney trip because we don't want to do it on credit. We don't want to have to pay anything off. We don't want to go into debt for it, but we wanted to have a big like Disney trip with the kids. And so we, we got the money out and put it in an envelope, and we, we had it. And let me tell you, sitting on that money for months, that's hard. <laughs> like, that's difficult because guess what happens? Life. <laughs> Life happens. Other opportunities to do fun things come up. Stuff starts going wrong around the house. Or you notice, oh, man, we want to put in a fence, and there is kind of a deal on it right now, and maybe we could, you know, kind of do this kind of stuff. And it's, it's very easy to compromise, right? But you know what we did? When we got that money out, one of the first things that we did was we made a list. I still have it on my phone in my notes app. We made a list of all the things that we want to do in the future whenever we have tax returns, whenever we have money saved up, things like that. We made a list of all the things we want to do and acknowledge that, you know what, these look good. These are things that, yeah, someday we, it looks good, but you know what, that trip. <laughs> Our kids are only this age for so long. We're going to make memories. We're going to have a great time. That is the joy, if you were with us a few weeks ago, that's the joy that we're setting before us. And because we set that joy before us and we acknowledge the attractiveness of all these other things, in some weird way, it took the power from those things because we just vocalized it. We didn't try to sugarcoat it and make it sound like, well, a fence wouldn't be that great anyways. No, we acknowledge we, we would love a fence. That would be awesome. But no, we're, 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 we're going for that. We're going for that. And there was a power that was broken from those temptations by us just naming the fact that they looked good, but they weren't really worthwhile. That there was something else that was more worthwhile for us. And so for us, when it comes to our faith walk, man, we have got to acknowledge that, yes, yeah, sin looks attractive, but it is not worthwhile. That is. Jesus, focusing my eyes and my attention on him is what truly matters. Essentially, it's, it's just counting the cost, Right? It's essentially what it is. It's counting the cost of, okay, what do I want to do? Do I want to, do I want to invest in my relationship with God and my faith walk, or do I want to invest in these other things that look attractive? It's, it's asking that question and saying, okay, what's the cost of each of these decisions? Count the cost. I guarantee you that's what Moses did. Whenever we read this from Hebrews chapter 11, where it says that Moses would rather be rejected along with the other people of God, than to enjoy the treasures of Egypt, he had to have contemplated that, right? I, I, I guarantee you Moses wasn't sugarcoating his decision, thinking, well, you know what, I'm actually going to be happy to not be in Egypt. It's going to be great being out in the wilderness by myself. The, the dry humid, the dry air is, does wonders for my skin. Like, he's, he's not sugarcoating that. I guarantee you Moses is thinking, this is going to suck. This is going to be awful. I'm leaving behind the people that I knew, the people that treated me like family. I'm leaving behind the security of Egypt and all of the attractiveness that comes with it. I'm a powerful person in this empire. I could do so many things here. I'll never have a, a, an empty stomach. I'll never want for anything. And even though I'm looking all that in the face, I still choose God. 
I still choose to reject all that to follow Jesus because I know in the end when I count the cost, he's worth it, and that's not. He counted the cost. And when we count the cost, something incredible happens. When we count the cost of, of holiness, of following Jesus, or of giving in to the attractiveness that life throws our way, when we count the cost, the incredible thing that happens is we start to see the warts on sin. It may still be appealing. It stay, still may be attractive, but it's one of those things where you're like, oh, wow, okay, it looks really good. And the closer you get up, you're like, oh, well, all right, still, still attractive, still appealing, but okay, yeah, I'm seeing, I'm seeing some defects. I'm seeing some things that, that I, I didn't notice at first, but I'm noticing now as I count the cost. You see, when we count the cost, we realize sin's sticker price never tells the full story. There is always a hidden cost of ownership that will cost you more than you want to pay. You can guarantee it. Every single time, sin sticker price never tells the full story. There is always a hidden cost of ownership. Who in here knows that from experience? Because I do. I know it. You online, anybody watching online, you know that to be true. I know it's true. I know it's true. There is a hidden cost to sin, and it always costs you more than you want to pay. Listen to how uh, Paul describes it in his letter to the Romans. This is from Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. And what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. You hear what Paul's saying? He's saying at one time you were free from righteousness and you were a slave to sin. And during that time, the things that you did that you thought would be benefits to you have led you to shame and guilt. Sin leads to death. Paul is making that so abundantly clear. He says, what benefit did you reap at that time from those things that you're now ashamed of? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is hammering us over the head saying, sin has a hidden cost. It pays out death. It may not look like it at first. It may look enjoyable. It may look pleasurable. It may look attractive. But in the long run, it is going to cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. We know this to be true, not even just from our own lives. We see it all over the place. How many pastors, how many Christian leaders have lost their ministry and their credibility because they were so focused on the sticker price of sin rather than the total cost of ownership? They were just so focused on, well, it's just one discussion. It's just one text. It's just one phone call. It's just one time I take that $500 I was given from a parishioner and I put 50 in my pocket and the 450 in their offering plate because what does it really matter? It's only 50 bucks. They just see that one-time sticker price and forget that there's a total cost of ownership to sin and it's gonna cost them more than they want to pay. So many pastors have lost their ministries over this stuff because they didn't consider the cost. We know what purchase price and total cost of ownership looks like. We, all we have to do is uh, look at a car, right? We look at a car and we see a sticker price. Let's say we, we see a sticker price of $20,000, and it's a crazy good deal. 
because this is a, a car, it's only like a year or two old. It's, you know, it's in fantastic condition. It's a good, reputable brand that you know. It's like a Toyota or a Honda where you can run the wheels off of that thing, and it's still going to, just a tank. It's just still going to go, right? Um, uh, it's fully loaded, and you're looking at all that, and you're going, man, just 20000 That's not, that's a deal. Like, I, that's amazing. So you buy it. But let me ask you, is $20,000 all you'll ever put into that thing? You seen, you seen gas prices? <laughs> nope. <laughs> you're, putting, you're putting a lot of money into that car. You've got gas. You've got registration. You've got insurance. You've got just upkeep. You've got oil changes, new wiper blades. You've got stuff that you've got to do, get a, a new belt, get new alternator fluid, all this different. You've got so many things that are going into this car. $20,000, it's a joke that that's all you're putting into it. That's just the sticker price. That's all that that is. That is the sticker price. But the total cost of ownership, that's a whole nother thing. And when it comes to sin, the sticker price, the enemy is always going to point to that. Hey, look, this is it. That's all it costs. I can get you out of here today in a brand new car for just this amount of money. You're going, oh, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds great. But there is a total cost of ownership involved that we are not considering. So I want to encourage you, play out the purchase. If the realtor right now, the realtor in your mind, the enemy, if he is coming at you and he's showing you this beautiful house and he's pointing to the crown molding and the, the original hardwood floors and he's showing you how wonderful everything looks, I want to encourage you, play out that purchase. If you're getting ready to make a decision that you're, you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, play out the purchase. Take it to its logical conclusion. Move past the sticker price and really ask yourself, what does this purchase look like in the long run? Because you know what I can guarantee you? I can guarantee you those pastors, those people who lost their ministries, did not play out their purchase. Because if they would have, this is what it would have looked like. Okay, so it's just one innocent conversation, right? That's, that's, the, that's the sticker price. But what's it lead to? Okay, it leads to a phone call, leads to a few texts, and then those texts start happening a little bit later at night, and it leads to setting up a lunch sometime that we make sure our spouses don't really know about, not because it's weird, but we don't, we don't want them to overreact or anything like that, um, and then that leads to a dinner to discuss work stuff, and then that leads to way oversharing emotional stuff, and then that leads to way oversharing physical stuff. And then before I know it, I've lost my wife, my marriage. I've lost my family's respect. For these celebrity pastors, I've lost the ability for my kids to have innocence because now when they get older, they're going to be able to Google daddy's name and see the first search results that pop up talking about infidelity and ways that I've abandoned my family. I'm going to lose my ministry. I'm going to lose my credibility. Do you think any of them actually played out that purchase before they made it? Absolutely not. I just looked at the sticker price. Man, it's one, it's one conversation. That's it. It's just one conversation. It's harmless, and it's weird for you to think it's anything more. It's just one conversation. That's the sticker price. The total cost of ownership. My God, it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. It's going to cost you so much more than you want to pay. So please, for the love of God, literally play out the purchase. If you are considering making any decision, in a relationship with your job, with your finances, please play it out. Take it to its logical conclusion and see that it is not worth it. 
It's not worth it. Don't trust the realtor. He is selling you a bill of goods that will never come to fruition. Don't stop at the curb appeal. <laughs> Don't stop at the number of bedrooms. There are dead bodies in the closet. <laughs> you just got to keep looking. You just got to keep digging. You got to play out the purchase and find out, okay, if I follow this to its logical conclusion, is this going to take me anywhere that I want to be in life? That's how it is with sin. Play it out. And here is what happens. As we play out the total cost of ownership, as we play out what the purchase looks like, what we start to find out is that uh, 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 we, we get a proper perspective of things. We start to see things how they actually are. And my goodness, isn't that what would just solve so much of the difficulties in our life? If we just actually had a proper eternal perspective on things, we could actually see things from a heavenly perspective. Well, whenever you play out the purchase, you start to get that. When you play out the purchases in your life, you start to get that proper perspective that you're supposed to have. You start to see things for how they actually are, especially what Paul mentioned in Romans 6. You just start to see sin and holiness in a completely different light than you ever did before. Because without proper perspective, you know what holiness looks like? It looks like performing for God. That's what holiness looks like if you don't have proper perspective. You look at scripture and you see a big list of to-dos and to-don'ts, and you're like, okay, I'm just got to dance for God, evidently. I got to entertain him with my holiness so that he won't send me to hell one day. And so I got to make sure that I read my Bible every now and then. I got to make sure I pray. I give enough money. I don't say the certain bad words. I, I don't have sex before marriage. And if I do those things, then I, I won't make him unhappy. Now, granted, all those things would be a blast, and all of those things would be awesome to do. But the only reason I shouldn't do them is because it'll make him mad. It'll make him angry. And that's holiness. <laughs> Don't make God angry. That's what holiness looks like to a lot of us. That's the perspective we have on it because the sin around us looks so good. And it looks so fun. I hear that all the time. I hear that from people in the church saying, like, well, how come they get to do that? And how come they get to do that? And, and I don't get to do that. And I'm like, well... You're acting as if your, your, your holiness is like a, a, a load you have to bear. Like, oh, I'm not doing that. Holiness is the point. <laughs> like, it is the point. Those people who are just kind of living it up in certain ways, in certain areas of sin, you're, you're forgetting that there's a total cost of ownership and you're acting like it doesn't exist. But it does. It eventually finds everybody out. Everybody suffers. If, if you follow in sin, it eventually will find you out. Scripture tells us that. But holiness is the end in itself, and we get that proper perspective when we start to count the cost, when we play out the purchase. Because when we play out the purchase, we realize the sin that looks so good, the sin that looks so attractive, that looked like it was going to lead to a fulfilling life, we realize it doesn't. It leads to destruction, it leads to death, it leads to broken relationships. That's where it takes us. And then we look at holiness, the thing that looked like such a, a, a burden, and we start realizing this is the thing that leads to freedom. This is the thing that leads to purpose. This is the thing that leads to a fulfilling life. I had it backwards. I had this entire thing flip-flop. That's what I should be doing because this is the thing that's going to take me to where I want to go. That's why Moses was able to reject the rewards and the treasures of Egypt because he knew those things, man, they have a cost. Doesn't look like it at the sticker price, but they have a cost. But holiness following God, following Jesus, investing in my faith, I know that's the thing that will actually pay out in the end. And so that's where I'm putting my life, that's where I'm staking my life is on the belief that my faith will be the reward in itself. 
we get the proper perspective on sin and holiness. We start to see the beauty of holiness and the freedom of holiness and the ugliness of sin. It starts to increase our love for Jesus and our, 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 our need for Jesus. We start to be so much more cognizant of it. We start to realize it more. And that's because as we increase our investment in our faith, as we start to invest in our faith, realizing sin's not worth it, and I'm going to invest in my faith and in my walk with Jesus, I'm going to do things to invest here. As we increase our investment, we see a decrease in our interest for sin. These things are tied together. And here's, here's the key to it. It's not that sin gets any less appealing, because it doesn't, <laughs> right? Like, you, you, have, you have men who are like, man, I, I, I've struggled with, with lust issues, and it's been hard. And Man, the second I get married, I'll never struggle with it anymore, because then I'll have a wife, and it won't be a problem. And then they get married, and they're like, I still have a problem with it. Like, what? Why? Am I, am I crazy? Is there something wrong with me? No, it's because sin doesn't lose its appeal. It doesn't lose its attractiveness. It is attractive. It is appealing. But here is what happens as you start to invest in your faith and as you start to invest your, uh, increase your investment in it, you start to lose interest as much. It's like the whole, um, uh, the, the phrase that people say, the, the grass looks greener on the other side of the fence. Grass always looks greener on the other side of the fence. What you're supposed to do when the grass looks greener, whenever sin, when that thing looks better than where you're currently at, what you should do, water your lawn, <laughs> right? That, that's what you should do. When the grass starts to look greener, just water your lawn. And so whenever sin starts to look attractive, when these choices that I know have a total cost of ownership that I don't want to pay, when those things start to look good to me, that doesn't mean jump ship and start doing those. That means, okay, I need to start watering my lawn. I need to start investing in my faith. I need to start building up my walk and my relationship with Jesus. I need to water my own lawn. And as you do that, as you increase your investment, you will start to see a decrease in your interest for sin. It makes me think, talking about houses and all this stuff, uh, uh, whenever we did purchase a house, whenever me and Jessica did end up purchasing a house, in the weeks that followed, we were still looking at houses on Realtor.com. Like, we would still get the automated emails that they would send. Like, based on your search results, here's some houses that meet your criteria. And they'd send them out, and I'd still look at them. I'd still be scrolling to, like, ooh, that's a nice one. Man, a... after we already purchased a house, little late in the game, right? Like, we're, we're on contract for a mortgage now, but I'm still looking at these other houses. I'm still on the Realtor app, and it wasn't just me. Me and Jessica are doing it. We're like, ooh, look at this one. Man, it's so nice. It's so beautiful and stuff like that. And I'm like, what are we doing? We're, like, torturing ourselves. Why, why, are we, why are we doing that? Why are we still looking at other houses even whenever we've already bought one? But you know what was a game changer for us? The thing that led us to, I, I unsubscribed, from those emails and I deleted the realtor app because I just wasn't looking at it anymore. The game changer was the second we started investing in our house. The second we started doing rooms up, the second we ripped up carpet and we had the hardwood and we're like, ooh, let's, let's polish out, let's get it looking nice. The second we painted the walls, we started putting pictures up. The second we started doing all that, guess what? I didn't look at those apps at all. I, 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 I wasn't even thinking about any other houses because I was so invested in where, in where I currently was. Are you tracking with me? <laughs> 
The same is true of our faith. The more that you invest in your faith, the more that you walk with Jesus and you build that up, you will start to notice it doesn't mean those houses are any less attractive. It doesn't mean the sin in your life is any less appealing, but you care about it so much less because you are so focused and so rewarded by where you are in Christ that it doesn't matter anymore, right? It doesn't matter anymore. So it's time for us to start investing our faith. Invest in our faith, and we will see that we will see uh, we will see a decrease in our interest in sin. Listen to how it's described in First Peter five uh, verses eight and nine. Listen to what Peter says. He says, "Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings." Peter says two things: resist him. And stand firm in the faith. Resist him and stand firm. That word, uh, that phrase, standing firm in the faith, literally means to dig your feet in. <laughs> it's like you're digging your feet in. Like we, we just went to the beach not too long ago. Whenever you dig your feet into the sand, right, waves come up. They don't even, like, move you because your feet are so dug into the sand. That's what that phrase means, to dig your feet in the faith, to invest in the faith, and when you do so, the enemy will flee. When you do so, the enemy will run from you. So I want to ask you in an actual, tangible way. You don't have to answer, but I want you to really think about it. How are you investing in your faith? Are you? <laughs> or are you just hoping that when the horror movie moment comes in your life, you'll, by some way, have a faith that will stand up against it? Are you just hoping that whenever temptation comes your way and the realtor offers you a sweet deal and it looks good, that you'll just be able to say no? If you're just hoping, let me tell you, it does not work that way. It doesn't work that way. You have got to be investing in your relationship with Jesus because your willpower on its own is not going to cut it. He's too good of a marketer. <laughs> he knows what kind of house you're looking for. And he's got a full, full list of things he wants to show you. So if you're relying on yourself, you're not going to cut it. You're not going to get through. You have got to be investing in your relationship with Jesus to be able to resist him. Peter says it. He's like, resist him by standing firm in the faith. That's how you resist him, by investing in your relationship with Jesus. So are you, are you praying? And I'm not talking getting on your knees and Heavenly Father, thank you today. Like praying a very articulate prayer. I'm just talking, are you just in conversation with God? Throughout the day, are you just throwing up little prayers saying, God, I'm, I need you today. I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I just need your spirit to move in me, to, to guide me, to, to change my heart. Are you, are you doing that? Are you reading scripture? Are you allowing God's word to, to show you who he is and allowing that to transform you? Are, are you in a C group? Are you a part of community here at Cornerstone? I'll tell you, I know that our C group sign-up is closed, but if you want in one, we will get you in one, right? We'll, we'll get you in. Are, are you a ministry partner here? Are you serving in any way? What are you actually doing to intentionally, keyword, intentionally invest in your faith? Because if you are hoping by accident to live a life that will lead somewhere you want it to be, it's not going to happen. It's not going to be happening. You're going to be disappointed when you get to the end of your life. Because you will be looking back going, man, if I would just would have intentionally made the decision to invest in my relationship with Jesus, I'd be in such a different place. And I want to let you know, start today. 
Start investing today because the quicker you start investing and the more that you start setting that principle up of investing in your faith with Jesus, the quicker and the more the enemy flees from you. He, he takes off from you. Uh, and again, it's not because the sin gets any less appealing. Here's the thing. You spot his crap way quicker than you used to. That's what happens. It's not... It's not that the houses are any different. It's not that sin is any less appealing. She doesn't suddenly stop looking so good. Beer doesn't suddenly start tasting terrible compared to whenever you were abusing it back in the day. It's not how things work. It still tastes good. She still looks good. That feeling still feels good. But you spot the enemy's lies quicker. And so the lies that a year ago used to trip you up every single time, and you're like, man, why did I fall for this again? Why am I walking right back into the same relationship again? Like, why am I just doing this time and time again? Those lies, man, a year after investing in your faith in Jesus, you'll look back on that and go, how in the world was I falling for that? It's so obvious. It's so clear what the enemy was trying to sell me. He was trying to sell me a haunted house. And I see that now. I didn't see it back then, but because I've been walking with the Spirit, it's like you're walking into a house and you're bringing a realtor with you. And they're going, "Uh, yeah, nope. No, oh, don't look at that. Ooh, that's bad too. That's like what the Holy Spirit is. He's walking in with you going, man, Yeah, this ain't good. (laughs) You don't want this house. You don't want this. The total cost of ownership here, this is a bad decision. You need to walk away. The more I resist, the more the enemy flees because I become more sensitive to the spirit. And not just that, I don't have to just survive horror movie moments in my life. As you start investing in your relationship with Jesus, you avoid horror movie moments altogether. Like, You don't have to be that person who's constantly in a state of distress in your relationships. You don't have to be that person who's constantly in a state of, oh, I just can't get my life together. I just can't do that. That doesn't have to be you. The more you invest in your relationship with Jesus, the more you just avoid the horror movie moment. You're the the person who walks into the house in the first five minutes of the movie and you're like, uh, yeah, no, I'm good, thanks. And the credits roll. It's a five-minute movie, right? Because you just avoided it. You're like, no, nah, I'm not getting into this. I'm not making this decision. We've seen people do it. As Pastor Brenda mentioned, the, 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 the saints in the church here at Cornerstone, the older saints, how they were uh, uh, investing in the church and the decisions they made. We see that. We see that happening from people who've gone before us, how they have made decisions and how they have followed Jesus, and as they get towards the end of their life, decisions become quicker and easier for them because they've seen the faithfulness of God time and time again, and they're able to spot the enemy's lies quicker and quicker than they ever did. And that can be true of me, and that can be true of you. We don't have to trust the realtor. We don't. We can reject the lies of the enemy and accept the truth that God gives us. I want that for me. I want that for you. And if you want that for you, I want to pray for you right now, all right? Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father God, today we reject the lies of the enemy. We refute them for exactly what they are, lies from the pit of hell. We know that sin always comes with a cost. No matter how good it may look on the forefront, there is always a hidden cost of ownership, and it's always going to cost us more than we want to pay. So we reject the enemy today, God, and we accept your truth that holiness is not a burden, it's a blessing. It's something that we get to achieve. It's something that we get to pursue as we walk in the Spirit. Because we know holiness is what actually leads to the fulfilling life that we want. It actually leads to the joy that no circumstance in life can mess with. And that's what we want We want that, and we know we can't get it on our own. We're not strong enough. So, God, we ask today that as we stand firm in the faith, as we make our our, our commitment today to follow you, that you would help put, put steel in our backbone. 
to be able to stand up against the enemy, that we would be able to see his lies and spot them for what they are and reject them and accept your truth. And as we do that, see our, our, our minds and our hearts change to be more like Jesus because that's what it's all about. Thank you for being good on your word, Father, that as we ask these things, we know that you will see them through to completion. You're such a good God, and we love you so much. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.